morning, everyone. My name's Dave, if I'm yet to meet. I have a really good friend whose name is Andrew, and he works for a tech company. He loves his work. He loves the team he works with and the freedom that they have as a team to come up with solutions for small businesses, whether it's designing an app um, for small businesses or a better and simpler payment processing platform. In a sense, Andrew is most himself in his work. It's connected to who he is and it brings him deep satisfaction. But in the last few years, his experience of work has become increasingly mixed. The company he works for has set him much more stringent KPIs and he describes a company-wide increase in stress. And so in another sense, as he and his team chase financial targets, is least himself at work and he's finding himself more stressed too. It seems to affect his creativity and his particular giftedness. But at the same time, he's got a wife and a daughter and bills to pay. So love it or hate it, he just has to get on with the job. I think my friend Andrew's experience represents a kind of three-way tug of war that many of us feel about our work. Our work can be a deep sense of, can give us a deep sense of fulfillment and even enjoyment. It can be a source of deep frustration. And at the same time, it's just what we've got to do to put food onto the table and pay the bills. This morning we continue, as Megan said, our series called Fully Alive. And this is the second last of the series. And the question we're asking in this series is how do we live fully alive lives as human beings? And today the question is, what are we here to do? What has God put us on this earth to do? And is work really what life's about? Um, We'll see in our time together thinking about this question that God has indeed given us humans a purpose to do. So today, the the purpose of work, the experience of work, and the motivation of work. So the Bible opens with God making all things. According to the Bible, there's only two categories of things in the whole wide world. It's either something he made. And in Genesis 1, over the first three days, God creates space, the sky, the sea, and the land. That's the first three days. And in the following three days, he fills those spaces. So in the very beginning, the earth was formless and void. And by the end, it's formed and it's filled. It's abundant. The sky is filled with stars and birds. The ocean is filled with fish and the land with all sorts of creatures and animals, including human beings. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish and the sea, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So in verse 26 of chapter 1, we get a first hint of the purpose God gives human beings. The most basic human vocation that God calls us to do in the world, we are to reflect his image in the world. That was a few weeks ago. We're to reflect his image in the world and that's expressed largely by how we rule the creation God has given us. Now, I've sort of said this before. When we hear the word rule, um, 
since the Industrial Revolution, this terrifying word. Um, it can easily be thought to mean exploiting, that we're meant to rule by exploiting the land, and that is not at all the idea of rule in this passage. We're meant to rule like God rules. We're meant to reflect God's loving kindness and tenderness and patience by the way we rule the world. But we've been given a purpose. The human vocation is to rule and reflect God in our rule and ruling the world, having dominion, cultivating the world requires work. And so the primary purpose that God has given us is to work in this world. And just by working, we're being like God. In Genesis 1, God pulls up his sleeves and does all the work. He creates, like I said, the spaces. It was good, it was good, it was good. And then he creates the things that fill the spaces. It was good, it was good, it was good. We're being like God when we work. And then he creates human beings, humanity, and like I said, commissions us to rule on his behalf like he would rule. And he calls the creation of humanity with that job, he calls us very good. And so to pull an idea from a, an author named Andy Crouch, God looks at all he created in days one to six like the grapes. He looks at the grapes and he calls them good. He looks at wine, though, a product of humans that have worked out that grapes have juice and the juice can go off, but when you crush the grapes and put them in barrels making wine, it makes this beautiful, fragrant product. God sees grapes and he says it's good, and God sees wine and says it's very good. Or take grain. Um, grain is... Um, a very important thing in our world. It helps reproduction, the vegetation uh, to reproduce, and he calls that good. But human beings have worked out how to crush grain and then put yeast in it. It rises, and then we beat it down again, and it turns into bread. God says that grain is good, but bread is very good. And with Megan's exhibition in mind, the flowers. God sees flowers, and they are good. Indeed, they are in Megan's artist's statement, she says, flowers are beautiful. They have a design of their own. They speak of life and abundance and flourishing. They're good. But then Megan took colors made from all sorts of synthetics and organic powders and painted the flowers that she so adores. And God says that that is very good. So when it comes to humanity's purpose, work forms a big part of that purpose to take what God has made, what is good, and to make it very good. And just before we move on any further in today's talk, the question today is not what, uh, what am I here to do, but it's what are we here to do. The reason for this is because all the different types of work in the world that we do serve each other, the wider community and society. So to fulfill God's commission to us to, to, to have dominion and rule and, and cultivate the world, we're dependent on each other. So the question is, what are we here to do? Not what am I here to do, what are we here to do? I love the exercise where you just think about the, the coffee that you've had this morning and think about all the people that were involved to get you that coffee in your hand. So <laughs> a barista um, made the coffee and made it in a cafe from a coffee machine. And so uh, the coffee machine was probably designed by a team 
and then put together by a bigger team. And think about the cafe, the, the coffee shop where the barista worked, that had to be built by someone or a team. And then it had to be purchased and the money for that purchase had to be provided by someone. And not to mention the coffee itself, the coffee beans, they were probably um, exported from a, another country, maybe Peru or a country in Africa. And someone had to go to that country and, and establish some fair relationship agreements um, with that coffee. And, and we wouldn't have had the priority of establishing fair agreements if it weren't for the education sector and popular culture and all that, that put forward the importance of fair trade coffee. All that's to say is that all our work is interrelated and we are dependent on each other. And we have a small part to play in that entire system. And now I'd like to set before you the three types of work that the Bible describes. And I'm following the work of theologian Andrew Cameron here. Um, the work that we do, whether it's paid or unpaid, the work that we do in the world will fit primarily into one of these three categories, but they're, they're all interrelated. And so all the work that we do is, forms a part of, of each, okay? But they'll probably find a home in one. So there's, first of all, our work um, will involve the work of creation, the work of creation. So the primary focus of the work of creation is understanding, using, and caring for the created order. So a scientist watches something in nature and learns. The teacher teaches their students about how the world works, whether it's economics or mathematics or geography. A cleaner, a pest controller, a doctor staves off disorder and reorders in a way that they see fit, the created order. This is the work of creation. And there are some jobs that seem quite disconnected from the created order. So accountants and fashion designers seem only to operate in the human social world, but the accountant organizes the sharing of resources and the fashion designer brings delight to human senses. And like other workers, they need to know whether their endeavors use the created order unsustainably. This is the work of creation. That's the first type of work the Bible puts forth for us to do. The second type of work is the work of community. So once we've watched and learnt from and ordered and reordered creation, the, the work of creation, we're in a position to share God's good resources to promote communities where people care for each other. So this is the work of community. So a, a job working for the banks or a position that's closely associated with markets, the markets allows for organised sharing. Marketing positions that promote the consumption of goods and services and the goods and services themselves promote community. Many positions in tech to foster technologies that help people care for each other are also the work of community. So think of technologies such as Zoom or much of the medical tech industry. It's all about promoting community. Now, of course, with both the works of creation and the works of community, there are ways of working against the goals that foster healthy creation and community. But God gives us these types of work to cultivate the world that he has called good and to make it very good. And so thirdly, there is the work of ministry. This third category aims at bringing people into fellowship with their creator, God, through Christ Jesus. And it sets the other types of work in the context of the new future that God will bring about in Christ. The work of ministry. And so it's really important to see that 
even though this third category is distinct like the other two categories, this third category doesn't stand over and above the other two types of works. This third category is firmly entrenched within the matrix of human work. The work of ministry can't happen without the other two types of work. Every meal cooked, every desk tidied, lawn mown, person comforted and conflict resolved is essential for the work of ministry to move forward. I describe those three categories of work just to help you see how beautifully diverse the purpose that God has given humanity is. We've got these functions in this world to care for the world, to learn from the world, to to bring those learnings into community, to promote healthy community, and also to bring people into a knowledge of God's love and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us these purposes in the world as human beings. And so, it's important for us to understand how our particular role, our very small particular role, fits into those three categories. And how it sort of maybe goes from one to the other at points. And so your role, whether it's as a mum or a husband, a scientist or an artist, will, like I said, find a home basically in one of those three types of ministry as far as it positively contributes to the purpose of that category. So that's the purpose of work. But for much of us, our experience of work isn't one of overflowing satisfaction. So, the experience of work. Everyone knows that this is a a broken and a troubled world. One philosopher writes, whether we look at societal structures such as the state or the family or cultural pursuits such as arts, the arts or technology or bodily functions such as sexuality or eating or anything at all within the wide scope of creation, we discover that the good handiwork of God has been drawn into the sphere of human mutiny against God. Which means our experience of work can be frustrating, can be boring, and it can be fruitless. So your experience of work might rarely excite you or extend you, or maybe it doesn't align with your strength or even how you perceive God's calling in your life. Your experience might be burdened by high KPIs or a possessive manager. Or maybe frustration is built into your role. Since the Industrial Revolution, the workplace has been segmented into minutely specialised tasks, making it hard to see how our work contributes the created and social order. But no matter how fulfilling your role is or not, no matter how frustrating, work has dignity because that is the call of God on our lives. Simply working a job to earn money for life's necessities is good in itself. The reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you may not be dependent on anybody. It's good to work, no matter how frustrating or fruitless. And I just want to comment on the, the first words 
that I've just read out, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's, that's an interesting sentence, isn't it? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I think much of the subliminal messages that we receive in our culture is to live ambitious lives, to make an impact in our world. But maybe these verses are leading us in a slightly different direction. So George Eliot um, writes these words in her famous novel, Middle March. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who've lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. So for most of us, our work is mostly hidden. But the good in the world that we so much depend on is built on unhistoric acts, those who've lived a quiet life of 1,000 daily and weekly uncelebrated acts of kindness. And so I think of motherhood in particular. There's nothing as important and as significant as the unpaid and mostly uncelebrated work of a mother caring for their children week in and week out. Though, if your experience of work offers little fulfillment, and for those who are currently not gainfully employed, it's really important for us to see and understand that our life's work life's work it's often called the, the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2 that is much bigger than just our employment we have all kinds of work to do that isn't work for a living sometimes they slightly align or, or largely align but we have all kinds of work to do and whether that's parenting caring for a loved one voluntary service creative work and so if we're if we're in a position if you're in a position of waiting for paid employment know that there is still good work for you to do whilst you go through that painful process that's difficult and often slow and can sometimes get to the heart of our identity because work is so important for humans to take part in. It's so important to see that our work, the good works God has for us, is so much bigger than what we do for money. There are so many other things that God wants us to do, the work God wants us to do that isn't, that isn't monetarily valued. So, and for all of us, in all our work, no matter how fulfilling or not it is, paid or unpaid, it is God's arena for growing us into Christ's likeness, into Jesus' likeness. God uses our work to grow us in character. So your boss bustles in to the meeting and he says, listen, mate, I need you to change those figures on page 17, otherwise we're not going to be given the contract. What are you going to do? A board meeting drifts towards a decision that cleverly camouflages an injustice or makes um, or means making more money at the expense of the wider community. Your vote for this particular decision is in doubt. You need to speak. They're all eyeballing you. 
from the school called you, letting to know that your child or grandchild has had another lunchtime detention. You're tired, both physically and emotionally, and you're waiting for your child at the school gate. How are you going to respond? God uses all the different contexts that we find ourselves in in our work to grow us in character. So we looked at the purpose of work, taking God's good creation and making it very good in all our different in all the different types of work that there are. We've looked at the experience of work, which for many isn't um, as satisfying as we'd like it to be, and now the motivation to work. So when it comes to our work, you, we often hear the word passion being thrown around. We need to be passionate about the work that we do. And when it comes to being passionate, often the reasons for our motivations to be passionate um, might be that we just love the work, that we love feeling productive and important, or maybe what motivates what us in our work, what, what gives us passion, is, um, is being envious of someone we know in a higher position. Maybe it's to earn heaps of money for comfort's sake. Or maybe it's because we're striving to succeed, to be seen as successful. These are all possible motivations to be, um, that might feed passion in our work. But Dorothy Sayers, in her, her book, Creed or Chaos, points out that these are counterfeit reasons for passion, which grow from a life-driven by mere cost-benefit analysis of what's in it for me. God wants us to be passionate about our work, to have energy for what he's called us to do, focus and diligence, they're good things. But when the Bible speaks about passion, there's another level of meaning. So think of Christ's passion. Passion is to sacrifice our freedom for someone else. And so much of our work requires that of us. Being a parent, a nurse, working a job that's frustrating but pays the family bills, this will require us to sacrifice our freedom for others. And the question is, instead of having the counterfeit motivations to feed our passion for our work, the work God has given us to do, what motivations might lead us to doing our work in such a way that we put the good of others before our own. And of course, we look to Jesus. We look to the one who endured everything, who lost everything to finalize the work that had been given him by the Father. Jesus's passion, God's passion in Christ was on you and for his father, not on himself. And there is our model for doing work. And when the, the depth and extent of Jesus's passion for you and me fully dawns on our heart, last week, the heart, it will generate selfless passion for the work he has given you uniquely to do in the world. And when we realize that what he has done to rescue us 
when we realize that, it will make the other counterfeit motivations for work disappear. Because we've been taken care of, we don't need to work for our reputation or our comfort or to feel important because we've been taken care of. And so what this does is that it allows work to simply be what it is. Not a, a way to secure our reputation or our success. But simply, simply the God-given way that we have for serving the created order, our community, and God himself. So what are we here to do? We're here to serve God and our neighbor and the world in the very small, in-perspective work he has set for us to do. That's what we're here to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have worked on our behalf and secured for us all that we needed in Christ, that in Christ we are your children, we are beloved, we are higher than we could ever be, more successful than we could ever have, have worked for. Father, we pray that you might help us see your love and grace for us so that work finds its proper place in our life as ways to serve you, your world, and your people, and our family. Father, please help us do all that you have us to do with hearts full of thanks and patience and kindness as we seek the good of those that our work impacts. In the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, our work in all its diversity is God, the Rima, for growing us into Christ's likeness. Um, this song, Take My Life, is an opportunity to bring this in prayer to God. So um, please stand while Ben and I can come sing this prayer for you. Mm -hmm. 